0: So what I would say, for particularly for directors, is we have a role to make sure that uh, we balance the performance expectations of our people uh, with the people side, but also to try and really make sure that we understand uh, how our people feel, Mm. um, because how our people feel will impact how they behave. This is Exploring Leaders, episode
1: 29, with non-executive board director, researcher, author and advisor Karen Loon. Karen will share her story, her own experience and her research about culturally diverse leadership, inspiring you to take responsible leadership in the digital age.
2: Do you wonder how trailblazing leaders sense at scale, involve to innovate, and align the actions in this increasingly digital world? Welcome to the Exploring Leaders podcast. The experienced team at Degosian interviews leaders from around the world for insights and inspiration on how to lead in the digital age. In this episode, Degosian founder Lizalette Engstam, who is also an independent board chair and director, researcher, author, and advisor, asks the questions.
1: Our guest today is non-executive board director, researcher, author, and advisor, Karen Lu. Karen has a background as a senior big four accounting firm partner. Karen has an ethnically Chinese background, born and started her career in Australia and progressed her career in Singapore. Karen has worked with the world's leading banks and led several diversity initiatives from her senior relationship and assurance partner position. She has studied system psychodynamics and corporate governance and her research interest is within identity work and organizational change. She's written a book that is newly released named Fostering Culturally Diverse Leadership in Organizations. Karen is passionate about ensuring that both women and those from culturally diverse backgrounds are given the right opportunities to thrive within their organizations. This episode focuses on her journey and approaches she finds useful for the top companies leaders and boards so warm welcome Karen Loon I'm delighted to finally have you on the podcast and you and I actually know each other because we worked together on a board and you mm-hmm. are a non-executive director but you're also a former partner of one of the major accounting firms and you have led a number of interesting discussions around diversity, but also transformations on large financial institutions. And you're also pursued education, both in corporate governance, but also in. Uh, in system psychodynamics. I'm gonna come back to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you are doing research, so we're also going to come back to that. So you have a very interesting and a bit unusual background. So can you mm-hmm. tell us what has taken you to where you are
0: today? <laughs> Thank you for asking me to, to speak to you today. So it's it's a fun time to, to speak. Yeah, I, it's interesting because if you look at my background, I have that, I would say that rational side. So I'm an accountant by training. I've done my audit training. I was an audit partner with a big four firm. So I used to audit banks. So there's that logical side of where I did the typical accounting and then MBA courses. But one of the things I've always enjoyed was also around people. And that's something that became a lot much more of interest to me later in my career, uh, so I had roles as a diversity leader in my firm at a global, at a regional level, I was on the global leadership team. And so that fascination with people and how mm. to try to support talent is probably the more, you could say also irrational side, yeah. because people dynamics is not so easy. And that's the bit that I've found fascinating is actually people, corporate cultures, what leads people to tick, I think is fascinating and has come together actually in my board roles, which I take on now.
1: Yep. And it's also interesting because in some ways you experienced it yourself because you're born in Australia, but I think you've done a lot of your career in, out of Singapore or, uh, with global companies. Is that right?
0: Yes. Yes, correct. So I've spent more than half my life in Singapore, but I'm ethnically Chinese, but I grew up in Australia and my, my parents, my grandparents were all born and brought up in, in Australia, which is a very unusual background. Mm-hmm. So some people would call me a, ba- a banana yellow on the outside but white on the inside but then I went back to Asia and experienced life in Asia culturally I'd say that I'm also a bit of an in-between I have both western western education living in Asia has reinforced with me you know some of my Asian values and and Mm. how I do things Mm. so very fascinating
1: it is It is indeed fascinating, and it's probably some of the things that has put you onto the route on where you are. Can you say something on the engagements that you're working on right now, what they include?
0: Yeah. I spend, I'd say it's a bit of a portfolio. So I spend some of my time as a non-executive director on a private bank. So it's a Swiss private bank subsidiary in Singapore. But I also have some roles, particularly with professional organisations, we previously both worked on the INSEAD Director Network Board. I also support the Singapore Institute of Directors. I'm on a finance committee of one of the universities in Singapore. And I've also supported various programs to support women into board roles. So those are the part of my role. But because of COVID and other things, I also then spent quite a lot of my time writing my book last year when we were restricted because of COVID. And then I also enjoy having time to, to, to travel around the world with my husband. Uh, so it's a bit of a portfolio, but trying to balance work and other things.
1: And uh, in, indeed, it's, it's a super interesting thing that a lot of us that are board members, we also end up in a portfolio of careers and actually yeah. have a number of topics. And, and I love that you are also working with research Mm. As I am also and trying to advance some topics, which I think is super important, what is most exciting about your job?
0: (laughs) I like I actually enjoy having the flexibility of time. It's something I've always liked. Professional services firms, particularly as a partner, you do have a fair bit of flexibility and autonomy. And that's something I've always liked. But I have even more autonomy now. I can choose the board roles I want. Mm. I can choose the, where I spend my time. And I think, I think there is an element of, of I want to give back. And how can I best give back? So yeah. I'm pretty values-focused. Um, so that's the bit I enjoy is you try things out. And I think one of the things I'm sure you've done as well is transitioning from executive roles into board roles is not easy. But it's given you that time to try many things out. And I use this term, try, learn, experiment, reflect, because it is new. It is different. You can sometimes feel very uncomfortable, but sometimes you find there's some wonderful things that you can do and you can learn and you can join in some great people. And sometimes there are things that you go, okay, am I enjoying that? Do I want to pursue it? And you go, maybe no. Yeah. So I've really enjoyed that, that period. Not easy to transition into board roles particularly when you've got different identities, a different role. I've spoken a bit about when you've got a title as a leader that brings a level of branding, a level of identity. And then now you're on your own. And how do you create that who are you? Who yeah. are you? And as a person. That's been fascinating. Yeah. And it's
1: interesting. I think it I think you stumble probably every time you meet people and they many times are working in one specific role in one company Mm. and what do you say that you do then karen
0: (laughs) i I actually found it really tough of my first six to 12 months because in in asia there people are very focused about your title and your business card so when you say that i'm from pwc and you give business card and you're the partner you don't need to say very much people understand what you do So I actually found it quite challenging in that transition. What do you call yourself when you don't have board roles? And I actually, I've I've described and and written about this. I had a business card and I said, Karen Loon, FCA, which means my accounting qualification. Mm. And I didn't put a company and people didn't know what to do. They would look at the card, they would turn it over. And they said, so what do you do? Are you retired? And I said, no, I'm not retired. So it actually can be quite daunting. Um, These days I've decided... Because I, at one stage, I said, am I the portfolio careers? And people have no idea what it is. I just call myself at the moment mainly a non-executive director because I do that. And now I can call myself an author. So people understand that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it is a big thing. People get quite hung up about titles and yes. putting people in boxes. Yeah. And I think the world's changed. A lot of people do many things. And so it's okay. Yeah. But you just have to get used to these sorts of careers. Indeed.
1: And let's get over to your, uh, to your book. You have written a book that is just released and it's called Fostering Culturally Diverse Leadership in Organizations.
2: Mm. What
0: made you write that? <laughs> that was really a personal interest of mine. So I went back to INSEAD back to, and I did an executive master in change. Part of my reason I did that was I had decided I wanted to be able to support the next generation of Asian Australian leaders. And so if anyone understands a bit more about Australia, they would understand that 15% of the population or more have Asian ethnicity, but only 3% of people are actually in senior roles. Mm-hmm. And so I always had a particular interest in how could I actually help uh, the organisations, the leaders to increase their leadership, and how could what can individuals do to step up and make it into leadership roles? Mm. Part of it was my own motivation. I built my career in Singapore Mm. and I felt uh, that I'd like more people to be able to do, build their careers in my home market. Mm. So that was my motivation to go to INSEAD, and uh, the program was amazing. It's a, the Executive Master in Change is a program where they talk about understanding yourself as an instrument of change. And Mm. that's quite philosophical, but You learn about yourself, you learn about, particularly from a psychology, a psychodynamic perspective, how we interact with each other, particularly Mm. when we have anxieties, and then how that plays out in organisations, in teams, in groups, and Mm. affects things. It was a fascinating journey. My thesis was actually on how Asian Australians make it into leadership. So from an inside-out perspective, I want to understand the experience of leaders who had made it Mm. in organisations and understand what made them become leaders so that I felt I could then use those case studies to identify roadmaps or particular ways that companies could increase their leadership and then what aspiring leaders could do to make it into leadership. So part personal journey, but part of a way to, to give back.
2: You can check out more hints and tips in the blog post covering this podcast episode of Exploring Leaders at the Degosian blog, which you can find at
1: I think it's fascinating because it also gives you a lot of passion and drive mm. into your topic. In the beginning of your book, you talk a lot about identity and mm. you differ between an identity and social identity. Can you explain mm. a bit more what that yep. is yep. and how it impacts you in terms of your professional
0: roles? Mm. Yep. Yep personal identity is more who you think you are whether you might feel that you are talkative or loud it's what who you think you are as a person but we are also people we have interactions with others and so how we identify with others is a social identity so I might be a professional I might be an accountant I'm female, I'm Australian. So these are identities of groups and you're actually a mixture of both. You are who you are, think you are, but you also are in a way who others think you are as well. And so that, that is an interesting balance because sometimes you are swayed by how others think of you, um, good or bad. Yeah.
1: And how do you think that impacts your role in your professional work?
0: I think we all have many identities. Mm -hmm. For example, being an accountant could be an identity and people have a particular perception on who an Mm -hmm. accountant is. Or being a director, they have a particular perception on who you you are. And so I think there is one book I found very interesting by Hermine Barra. So it's called Working Identity. And I Mm -hmm. think we may have, some people at INSEAD may have also read it. I found that fascinating because in a way, and she talks about how we basically, if we want to transition into roles, we need to learn and look at role models. We need to try things out. And then we see, basically see how things are. And if we might adopt some of the traits or how others act, mm-hmm. and sometimes we won't. We all have so many identities. And that makes, can put us all under stress in a yeah. way. Yeah. Because you're trying new things out. You're trying to be like a leader. Yeah. Behave in, a, in what a leader's, And that can work. Um, but it can be stressful as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I looked at my book, similarly, if people, in my case, when I was looking at Asian Australians, mm. people have an, a, a national identity and they have an ethnic identity. Mm. And even in those sorts of sort of circumstances, trying to take on new roles as a, mm. a leader can be even more challenging. It's fascinating because to become and take these roles on, you need to try things out, but you will experience whether it's imposter syndrome or other things. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just but it's
1: interesting, one of the things you think directly when you say that is, is something that I think you have experienced both in your cultural role, but also in your female role, if there are no role models,
0: how does that help or hinder you? Yeah, it's it can be tough. I'm sure you've similarly had experiences where there were role models, no role models. And sometimes people can't quite see you in that role. You know, in early in my 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 career as a new partner, there weren't probably as many women in, in mm. roles. Mm. I tended to be perceived as very quiet. Mm. They probably expected leaders to be noisier, ask a lot more mm. questions. And it takes time to to try and find your way when you don't have role models, because people will expect you to act or behave in the way that the, the majority group has. Yes. Yeah.
1: So you're not matching their expectation that is something you have to overcome. so you if you if we just also take a bit in the business industry, how do you see that the the focus and the progress of inclusion and diversity has it changed anything over the last years? Is it mainly talk what is happening? Can you give us a bit of flavor on that
0: yeah. I think society is definitely changing. So if I think about the discussions that I was having with people in Singapore or Australia, 10 years ago, it was probably all about gender, and it wasn't as extensive. Today is a very broad discussion, I think, with the push for ESG, and investor push, that sort of thing, I think is definitely a lot broader, but it's becoming a lot more complex because I would say in the last five years, particularly since what's happened in the US, people are becoming quite even more sensitive and more sensitive than they were. So I I know in some countries, they're talking a lot more about cancel culture, where people are feeling they're canceled, their views can't be said. It can sometimes also be a bit more toxic, but I still think it's something that people want. People will want to belong. And if you look at put it with a business lens, you know, companies need people, people want to work at a place that's fulfilling. And so I think it's still important and will increasingly become more important to businesses, but not just from a branding perspective. They've got to do more and really make sure that people's hearts and minds are aligned with the businesses Mm. they work in.
1: Mm. And as one example, you actually talk about something that I think many of our listeners haven't heard, and that is the bamboo ceiling. So can you say what does it mean and how does it come about and Mm. what is it that needs to be understood about it?
0: So the term the bamboo ceiling has been around for about 15 years, made famous by a lady called Jane Hun from the US who wrote a book about it. So basically, she talks about this perception that people with Asian ethnicity in Western, she wrote about the US, but it can take place in Australia, other places. There's a perception that they're quiet. There's a perception that they don't speak. They're not great leaders and that sort of thing. And therefore, what happens when they're getting more senior, they don't actually make it into leadership. They meet Mm -hmm. hit a bamboo ceiling and they don't make it through. And that is something I think, unfortunately, the numbers aren't great in many professions you'll have a large proportion of people with asian ethnicity mm. but you just don't see them at the top and that's something i think has become a lot more i would say of interest to people particularly yeah. since a lot of the asian hate crimes in the us mm. people have actually started to become a lot more vocal with asian backgrounds that they feel that things are not fair they're not willing to be perceived mm. as being quiet and this is actually starting i think to have a bit of interest because people are saying, look, I don't want to be viewed as silent. I mm. actually want to be able to succeed. So mm. it's a bit of a social movement. Yeah,
1: It is a bit of a social movement indeed. And still, we as business leaders, we need to understand it and be able to work with it. Mm. You have interviewed a vast number of uh, these Asian leaders. Can you say something about what does the successful leaders do what is it that they are mastering somewhat or activities they're doing differently Mm, yeah
0: as you would expect they're technically strong but I think one of the things that I talk about in my book and I think this is where having a system psychodynamic lenses is interesting is I think you know whenever anyone goes through and we spoke about identity changes they will experience quite a lot of stress because you're trying to, in a way, act as if you're someone that not, because you're mm. trying things out and you feel very uncomfortable and that sort of thing. And one of the things that I found is uh, the leaders will try things out. So they're open to trying things out, but they try things out as, as well as build relationships. So that's another thing, but they're also able to manage this stress mm. reasonably well. And that's not easy. Because mm. when you're under stress, sometimes some people withdraw a lot. They work hard yeah. themselves and don't want to build relationships. And then you get others who actually are trying to build lots of relationships and may actually offend others. And so I found that good leaders were able to balance trying things out, reflecting, building great relationships, but able to manage their stresses and have people that they could get support from, whether it's sponsors, mentors. Family, they were able to have time to think because they had professional programs, that sort of thing. So, there was no one silver bullet on how they made it. It was just that they had a number of things that they worked on and they were very reflective themselves of yeah. that helped them get into leadership roles. And uh, if you look at
1: that, there's obviously a couple of things that these leaders that is aspiring can do. And if you pick mm. out the couple of things, what do you think yeah. they can
0: try to do? A couple of things I suggest. The first one is really to understand yourself. And I think that's something that many of us don't want to take feedback on. We don't like getting 360s. But actually, one of the things I have learned, we touched on this when we do the IDP program with INSEAD, but also my EMC program, is that the way we think of ourselves is not the way others perceive us. Yeah. And so often putting a mirror to ourselves and seeing how others sees us is very useful because you then see things that, that you perhaps go, okay, I need to adjust. So that would be one thing is understanding yourselves in stress, how you manage things. Uh, building good relationships was extremely important, mm. particularly sponsors. So I think for uh, a lot of people with Asian backgrounds who made it into leadership roles, they did have sponsor relationships. There's not just sponsor relationships, there's mentors, there's others as well, but I think mm. sponsors was key. The third thing I would say is managing tensions. As I mentioned, mm. learning how to manage your stress and making sure that you've got support mechanisms to help you manage your stress is important. Mm. And then the last thing was really around continuing your learning yeah. and trying new things, not just the technical, the soft skills, mm. build new networks, and, and that sort of thing. So there were some of the recommendations I do have from aspiring leaders. So, this is how we can work if we are
1: in a position we're trying to get somewhere as individuals. If we take the other role mm-hmm. um, from leaders and not the least from boards, that in many, many jurisdictions now it is tasked to look mm-hmm. at culture. Yeah. What do you think that we can better understand? What dimensions is it of diversity and inclusion that we need to understand better in order for us to actually try to get a grasp
0: of it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. I think boards need to look more, I think, more holistically at diversity and inclusion because I see there's an alignment with your corporate culture. And if we think about our corporate cultures, we have the, the health performance, we, but we also have to ma- manage our people. And so what I would say for, particularly for directors, is we have a role to make sure that uh, we balance the performance expectations of our people uh, with the people side, but also to try and really make sure that we understand uh, how our people feel, Mm -hmm. um, because how our people feel will impact how they behave. And one of the things I do talk about, which I know can be used, for example, are culture audits, because I think Looking at diversity and trying to fix numbers Mm. is one thing, but Mm. often what can actually inhibit greater diversity and inclusion is actually the corporate culture. Mm. And so culture audits, trying to understand how different demographic groups people feel, not just I would say surveys, but really I don't like the word focus groups, but using sessions to make sure people are able to relax, Mm. say how they feel. There, I think there are ways that the board can try and ask management to deeper dive into. Yeah. The culture, because I f- actually feel that the culture can actually be the thing that actually inhibits yeah. the diversity because people will mm. not feel they can, the culture can inhibit how people mm. behave mm. or it can make behave, people behave in a way that is not supportive of greater inclusion and diversity.
1: Yeah. I saw some research quite recently that had identified that. And in this instance, it was on the gender, but I think it can most likely be broadened into a broader. And that was that, they, as you were calling it, they had all of the technical, but they also had all of the evaluation from the people around them. But the evaluators didn't perceive that they had leadership potential. Mm -hmm. So... How would you say that boards and leaders need to think about leadership potential
0: going forward? Mm. Yeah, I think it's not an easy question because I think in everyone's minds, they have a mental model of the leader. Mm. It's around leaders have to create an environment where followers follow them. So Mm. I think part of it is really around trying to create that environment that people with different backgrounds can thrive and be comfortable. And that's not easy. I think a lot of what I've said is really around trying to create that environment, but maybe they need to revisit their views on who a leader is. The leader attributes and particularly around the people skills. Are they actually focusing on the performance Mm. or are they actually also trying to balance people, which is such an Mm. important asset these days.
2: To get even more value out of the podcast series, Exploring Leaders, you can find everything from research reports to advice and courses at the Degosian website, which you can find at degosian.com.
1: And such a good area. I think we're going to get over a bit more to, towards your recommendations and insights. So is there a company or a leader you think that we should keep our eyes on uh, <laughs> that can make us think a bit better in this area? Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, not an easy question. One of the companies that I've spoken about, and I know quite well because I used to also work with them, which has a very innovative culture, but also values inclusion and diversity is DBS in Singapore. That's Mm -hmm. the Development Bank of Singapore. And I think the reason I've mentioned that is they are very good at innovation. Mm -hmm. They've got won various awards globally about that, but they also have a lot of women on their boards and other diversities as, as well. So uh, a lot of it is through the culture uh, that they have in the organization, trying to balance performance and people, but not necessarily having a lot of specific women's programs or other Mm. programs. In fact, the number of women that they had on their management teams 10, 15 years ago was way before they had any programs. So that's why I think that's a a pretty good example of an organization that actually also has great performance, but is also perceived as a great employer and has a pretty good diversity
1: and i think that is so interesting you keep emphasizing both the performance and the the culture and the inclusion to have the balance between that Mm. Uh, i think that's super interesting you is there any sources that you look to or any podcasts or blogs or books (laughs) besides your own which we're going to come back to
0: yeah, I think, unfortunately, when it comes to diversity, there aren't a lot on from a system, a psychodynamic perspective. But there is a book that I, other than Herminia Barra's book that I mentioned, mm. there is a book that I found um, very interesting. And I think it's worth leaders thinking about, because I think in a way, if they understand that, then maybe they will think more systematically about what it means for mm. others. It's a book by Naomi Shrigai, and the book's name is called the man who thought that his job was his life Uh so that's not necessarily a book a diversity book but I think it's to me I found it interesting because so much of what happens in in organizations Mm. because an organization is a collective of people yeah is things happen because of how individuals feel and how the how their upbringing impacts them how they then interact at work and I think I delve into this a lot in my book but So much of who people are is because of how they've been brought up at Mm -hmm. home and their relationship Mm -hmm. with their parents and how they then have experienced different situations at in school and things like that. And so I would I know that's not necessarily a book that's aligned to what I've written about, but I think that one I've really enjoyed in the last 12 months and I recommend. And talking about your book,
1: where can our listeners find your book?
0: So it's available on good online bookshops. It's probably the easiest place to find it. If you go to my website, which is www.karenloon.com, there is a discount code. If you purchase directly from my publisher, which is Rutledge, and you'll get 20% off and free shipping no matter where you are in the world. But you can find it on Amazon, where Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy your books.
1: And, uh, and it's an absolutely fascinating book. And I think the other thing that I find very fascinating about the book is that it gives you a flavor of what we had. You might not think that it's in your target, but we will all have to. It might be this group or another group, but it's also a way that you describe it that is very insightful, I think, Thank you. that can give a lot of... So if you were to give some kind of practical advice to leaders and boards...
0: What would you say? I think one of the things, my biggest learnings, particularly as I've done the IDP program with INSEAD, that's the director program and my other program, is that often we we talk in in the business environment, the boardroom about numbers, statistics. We try and be very rational. Mm. But so much at play, particularly as board directors, takes Mm. place because of people's, how individuals feel. So how they might act in a boardroom is often because of how they might feel themselves, which is, I think, insightful because boardroom dynamics is not an easy thing to manage. So if you really try to put a, a lens on and sit back and try and take really try and understand what's going on here, often it's because of how individuals are feeling in situations and it's not to do with what we're discussing. And so mm-hmm. that's been something that I've really found useful and insightful. And part of the reason I've recommended that book is actually, if you understand yourself, Mm. and how you react in, particularly in stressful situations, like boardrooms and others, then you try and think about what does it mean for others, I think it may help you be able to be a better leader help to Mm. understand what's happening. Because often, it's not necessarily the things that you're seeing that's actually Mm. leading to these unusual ways people behave in groups. It's often other things. And so that's probably one of the big things I've learned is actually it's really around individuals and how individuals Mm. are feeling that then leads to how people behave in groups in teams and that sort of thing.
1: I think that's a wonderful advice and it's in a fast paced world. It's very easy to forget that uh, and take everything at face value. So I think it's a wonderful guide for us all to think more about. So I wanted to conclude this with a question that I uh, put to all of my guests. And that
0: is, if you were a furniture, what would you be? Oh, gosh, That's that's an interesting, interesting question. I'd probably be a lamp oh wow okay yeah. I, I mean, at the moment I think if you if you're the lamp you can see lots of things and observe and I think that's the thing that's I've really learned over my INSEAD journey is actually observing you can just see a lot you don't need to contribute and that's I'd probably say I, I mean I like observing I think sometimes if you're very reflective you can learn a lot of things
1: Thank you so much. I think that's a, such a nice way to conclude this. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy agenda to to talk to us. Thank you. Thanks for the chat.
2: Thanks for listening to Exploring Leaders, a podcast produced by Degosian, with the ambition to inspire insightful leadership in the digital age. If you found this episode interesting, join the momentum to amplify the voices of trailblazing leaders by sharing it with others for inspiration for any questions or recommendations on other inspiring leaders you like to listen to contact us via our website Degotion.com, or via social media as linkedin or twitter